Well, good morning. I feel like, this is probably not true, but I feel like I always have to follow Alicia, and that's never, I mean that in the best way possible, it's not a good thing. Um, yeah, that was wonderful, excellent, and uh, just a joy to be a part of. So my name is Ryan Smith. I'm the pastor of college students and mobilization here at Provision Church and been here for a little over a year now. I would say for me personally, the past few months have just been really, really encouraging. I don't know, maybe it's just the fall and students coming back and there's life and energy, but uh, it's just been a blessing, and I feel that, I mean, Hebrews 10 tells us to, to not neglect gathering together and we're to continue to meet together, to, to love one another and to encourage one another and to push one another. Um, so I, I want to do that, um, church, and, and I, I just want to say, and this is very, maybe it's very small, but to me it's really big, but it's been an encouragement to see your hospitality and to see you uh, welcome new guests and new people, uh, even myself. I know for our college students as well, it's a big deal, and that's uh, encouraging. I'd also, Mark's not in here, and Mark didn't put me up to this, but um, I also want to encourage Mark's preaching most of the time, but I, I would say to you guys, what you see from Mark up here is the, is the same Mark that you get in staff meetings and behind closed doors, and I would just say it's, uh, it's a blessing to be able to serve under Mark, to serve with Mark, as well as the elders. Um, I would say, and this is not a put down to any other staff I've ever worked on, but I would say it's the most healthy staff that I've ever been a part of. And, and that's saying a lot. And it's really, really encouraging uh, to, to be here and to be with you guys and to be uh, on staff at Provision Church. So just wanted to say that. Again, just feel it's important to do that from time to time. Our text today will be Galatians chapter 4, 1 through 7. So if you want to turn your Bibles or turn your phones to Galatians 4, I should already have it up, but I don't. Galatians 4 will be in verses 1 through 7. And one thing, if you know, if you've heard me preach before, I'm really bad at, um, you have your little note-taking guides, and there's like an outline, and I'm really bad. At, I always forget the, the outline and tell you to fill in the blanks. I'm going to go ahead and do that. This, and Mike is nodding his head because he's bad at it too, and we talk about it a lot. And the elders give us a hard time for that. But I just get so into the sermon, I forget the silly outlines, right? It's not a silly outline. but So today, I'm going to go ahead and give it to you up front. And it's really, really easy. It's, there's two halves to this sermon. So you, I think you should have just two points. Is that right? Two points in your sermon note-taking guides. So the first one is who you aren't, and the second is who you are. It's pretty simple. And so the sermon will be in two halves today. We're going to talk the first half of the sermon is who you're not as a believer, who you are not in Christ Jesus. And oftentimes, as we've seen, the Galatians live uh, in a way that they're not. And we are very similar to, to this. And in the second half of the sermon, uh, I've been chomping at the bit to get to this point, um, who you are in Christ. And so my heart uh, and my hope is that you are encouraged today. So I'm going to pray for us and we'll jump into the text. Father, we just are so thankful to be able to be here and to gather together and to worship your name. You're worthy. Um, Lord, you're worthy of our alarm clocks going off early in the morning. You're, um, you're worthy of us braving the cold weather, even though it's not that cold, to come here to serve your name and um, you're worthy of our time this morning. So, Lord, I pray uh, just for myself that you would use me as an instrument for your honor and glory, that you give me simple words, Lord, um, to honor and glorify your name through the preaching of the word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So just a brief review. Why is Paul writing to the Galatians? Why is he writing to this church? Well, if you go back all the way to a few weeks ago, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, really give us the purpose and the reason why Paul is writing. And it says, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So gospel and quote unquote, gospel means good news. And they're turning to a different gospel, which was not good news. As we've seen all series, he says, not that there is another one, but there are some, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So they were being attacked by a group called the Judaizers, really just false teachers. And they were saying they had to add something to the gospel, gospel plus work. So um, this, different, this different gospel um, was a gospel that was added to what Christ had already done. And again, we're going to talk about today, how, how do we as believers, how are we like the Galatians? We've hit on that a little bit. We're going to really get into to the specifics of that today. And really this text, this, the whole the one through seven really speaks to, Paul is speaking to the absurdity of believing a different gospel. And I don't mean that word in a mean way or a negative way. I mean absurdity literally in the definition of what absurdity means, which is wildly unreasonable. He's saying you're, you're believing something and you're following something that is completely unreasonable and, and, and follow what, what Christ has for you. So we're going to be looking at that. So we'll, let's read. We're going to go back into chapter 3, uh, verse, start in verse 25. We'll read all the way to 4, verse 7. So verse 25 in chapter 3, Paul says, But now that faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. The guardian was the law. And we'll get to that. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So... There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Chapter 4, he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way... We also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So verse 7 gives us the answer to what we're going to be talking about all day. Verse 7 says that we are no longer slaves, we are sons or daughters. We are heirs. And so really the theme of today is this is who you are, live like it. It's that simple. This is who you are as a believer. You are a son, you are a daughter, you are heirs, you receive an inheritance, you receive all the blessings in Christ. Now live like what you are and don't live as how you used to be, all right? So that's the whole theme. So who you aren't, verses 1 through 3. Read it again. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So really an heir, very simple, an heir 
is someone who has been appointed to receive an inheritance. Someone who has been appointed to receive an inheritance when the time comes. So the Jews and other believers were appointed before Christ had come to receive the inheritance, to receive all the blessings of Christ. This is pre, uh, before Christ died on the cross for them. But they, but they hadn't received the inheritance before Christ. But now Christ had come when this letter was being written. Christ had already come, so they had received all the benefits of it. The problem is they weren't accepting it. They were living a, a gospel contrary to the one he had given. They felt that there was a better way. They felt that they had to have a part in this. They had to have a part in what God was doing. And the problem with this, very simply, is it takes away from God's glory. If, God, if, if we receive one ounce of credit from, for our salvation and what God has done, then he then he's receives less glory, right? He should he desires and de- and needs to uh, receive all the glory, and it takes so it takes away from God's glory. So in verses one and two, it's key. To, we're not going to spend a ton of time on verses one through three because Mark talked about it last week. Verses one through two is simply an illustration, okay? Just an illustration, and it's really elaborating on who we were before Christ came, who they were before Christ came. So it's really elaborate on chapter 3, verses 19 through 25. And Mark talked last week about how the law was a guarding, a guardian, how it guarded us or guarded them until before Christ came. So he says that basically in verses 1 and 2, he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from the slave. Well, how is he no different from the slave? Well, he, he was appointed, the kid, the little child, was appoint, appointed the inheritance, yet he couldn't receive it yet because he was still a kid. So he's saying you're no, he's no different than the slave who was in the household as well. The child might receive the inheritance, and he's waiting to receive the inheritance. And in a funny way, the, the slave of the house is actually, at times, guarded the child. Guarded the child till he was appointed a time to receive the inheritance. So he's saying, you're no different. You are no different. Verse 2, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So then verse 3, in the same way, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So we were, he was saying, Galatians, you used to be the little child that was waiting to receive the inheritance. And he's saying, but you have received it already. So stop acting like you don't have that inheritance. Don't, stop acting like you don't have those blessings in Christ. The law was simply guarding you until Christ came, but Christ had already come. You have the blessings. Now live like that. And what he's saying in verse 3 is very similar to what he says, and I'm stealing Mark's thunder for next week here. You go down to verse 9, he's really saying the same thing. 9 says it a little bit better, a little bit easier for us to understand. Verse 9 says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn your back, turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want, whose slaves you want to be once more? So when we see that word, that phrase, elementary principles, it's really what that means. It, it means the basics. It means the ABCs. So to give you a, a simple illustration, 
what this would be like. It's like me going into a library. I know how to read. And I sit down in the library and start reading the ABCs and reading the alphabet. You'd be like, what are you doing? Why are you reading the alphabet? You already know how to read. It's like one of you studious college students who have these degrees and all this education going into a kindergarten classroom and sitting down and you're dead serious in the room wanting to learn what they're teaching children in kindergarten. I'm not trying to be ugly. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. We would say, why are you going back to kindergarten? You don't need to go back to kindergarten. You already know the basics. So stop going back to the old, your old way of life. So following the law for approval is like going into a library and reading the alphabet. So this can kind of get complicated, but we'll try to break it down and keep it really simple for you. In what ways are we like this? How do we do that? Because we weren't born under the law. So how do we act as the Galatians act and live like the Galatians live? We feel like we have to work for blessing and approval from God, just very simply. We feel we have to work hard to receive God's blessing. And we feel that we're more blessed because of our obedience. We feel God blesses Ryan more when I obey more. I'll give you, an illustri- I'll give you a, a, two scenarios and be honest with yourself. You don't have to nod, you don't have to raise your hand. The scenario is a good day, bad day scenario, okay? So your good day, good day, you rise up or you rise early. You get up early, alarm clock goes off, and, and you're up. You're at it. You have your morning devotion, your time with the Lord, and that time is really, really good. Like you're really hearing from the Lord. The scripture makes sense, and it's great, and you just feel really encouraged. You're ready to start your day. You start your day, and you have an extremely productive day, whether it's at work or with your family or whoever. Your day's really, really good. And then you just sense God's presence with you all day. Like what you read that morning, like you, it's just it's on it and you're clicking. Unexpectedly, at the end of your day, you have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. You have an opportunity to witness, all right? So we're going to pause there. All right, so you hit, now we're going to talk through your, your bad day. You hit snooze on the alarm when it goes off and you oversleep. Some of you guys are like, that's a good day for me, but it's clearly too late for a devotion to spend time with the Lord in the morning. And, and you rush to work and you feel guilty about it the whole way at work, when you're, you're driving to work or school or wherever. And things just go wrong all day. And you become irritable. And you're just not a good friend or a good husband or wife or a dad or mom, whatever it is. And, and you just really don't sense God's presence with you all day. Like, it's just a really bad day. You know what I mean? Unexpectedly, at the end of that day, you have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. All right, so I'm going to ask you the question. Would you enter those two witnessing opportunities differently, feeling differently, with a different degree of confidence? Would you in- and I think if we're honest with ourselves, we probably would. And so if we're saying yes, then we are saying God's blessing and his favor upon us depend on our obedience. What I would be saying is I've got to obey whatever the right is, I mean, like, because I'm still going to fall short of that. I'm still going to have bad thoughts. But I've got to obey a lot to receive blessing from God. The only problem with that is it's not biblical, right? So I'm saying it's up to Ryan to produce blessing in my life. And that's what happens in my own life a lot. 
I'm struggling and I'm not obeying. I feel like God hates me and he's not gonna, he doesn't want to bless me. And he doesn't have favor on me. And so I, get, I have anxiety and I get depressed and I get frustrated. And then I'm, it's just a, a cycle that spins and spins and spins and it's hard. It's not up to you and it's not up to me to produce blessing in our lives. The cross is enough. God's righteous, Christ's righteousness is enough. Jerry Bridges says, our worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. He goes on to say, and I love this. He says, even our tears of repentance need to be washed in the blood of Jesus. Even our repentance, even our tears of repentance needs to be washed in the blood of Jesus. So you aren't working for approval but you're working out of approval. And this is where it gets tricky. And this is, I, I, I'll confess at the end of the day, you know, you're planning a sermon. You've got to make cuts and things or else I'd be here for two hours. And I wanted to spend a long time on this because I think it does confuse us, but I'll hit this really quickly. Because where things get really confusing is we say, but yeah, aren't we supposed to obey though? Like don't our works, like don't our good works matter? Yes, they do. Our, our works absolutely matter. I would say in the context of our approval and acceptance to God, no. That's a firm no. Your works don't matter because he has done it for you. He has worked perfectly for you. And he died the death you deserved to die, and he rose three days later. So you're united with him. So in turn, I'll say that again. In, in the context of our approval and acceptance to God, your works don't matter. Therefore, you can run to him and you can repent and you can Go to him boldly despite your horrible day you had or your horrible year you've had because his work was good enough for you. But I will say in the context of our intimacy and nearness to Christ, yes, your works matter. Yes, your obedience matters. So obedience is a joy producer and it produces intimacy with Christ. James says, draw near to Christ and he will draw near to you, right? Proverbs 3.32b says he is intimate with the upright. And the upright is, is righteous living. It's someone that is, that is living in obedience. He's intimate with the person that is upright. John 15.7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The idea, it assumes abiding. It assumes that I'm remaining with Christ. It assumes that I'm close with Christ. And what happens if I'm close with Christ? Well, his words are going to abide in me. His words are going to remain in me. Therefore, I'm going to ask whatever I wish. The whatever I wish is what's on my heart from him. So a lot of times, I think, I think it was Spurgeon that says, you can gauge the, um, the, the growth of the, 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 uh, a growing believer by their prayer life. The power in prayer is the, is the, is the gauge of a, a believer that's growing or not growing. And it's because his words are abiding in me. Therefore, I'm asking the right things, and life doesn't, doesn't seem so chaotic because there's, the paths are straight. He promises that in Proverbs 3. Trust in him, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths and make your paths straight. Therefore, we're closer to Christ. We hear from him more. There's an intimacy. So our acceptance, um, we are supposed to obey. But in the context of our intimacy with Christ, our works do matter. So the answer there is 
You are not a slave to the law. You are not a slave to the law. So let's move on to verses 4 through 7. Who you are in Christ. Verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So a couple of phrases to, to break down there. When the fullness of time had come, won't spend a lot of time on this. Mark did last week. The idea here is though when the world was ready, God providentially sent Jesus. When the world was ready, God providentially sent Jesus. Why? Mark said this last week. I'll say it again because God knew the right timing. He knew what time was best, and we trust that. God's timing is always right. It says that God sent forth his son. Understand that God, our God, is a sending God. You ever thought about that? Our God is a sending God. We say in here, live sent and change the world. We talk about sending ourselves. We talk about going. God has sent us just as he has sent his son. And, I would, and you know, we've talked, we talk about planting, church planting. And that's why we're just doing what Christ has done. He sent Jesus into the world, a hard place to be. And Jesus had the right to say no, but he didn't. We desire our community and world to be filled with all the fullness of God. We say that as our vision statement here. Ephesians 3. And we want other areas and other places and other campuses to know Christ. And we want to replicate what we're doing here. And again, one of, those, one of these days when we send a team of people, it's going to be hard. It will be hard, but it should be hard. It was hard for Jesus to leave his father. And we see that all throughout Scripture. It's hard for Jesus to, live his fa- to leave his Father. But our God is ascending God, therefore we should be ascending church. He sent him into this world, born of a woman, born under the law. So he was born under the law. What does that mean? He was born under the requirements of the law. He was born under the, the requirement of the law was perfection. Jesus was born under that law. Therefore, he had to obey that law perfectly, and he did so. He was born under that law. He did it perfectly for us. Again, that's something that helps me understand the gospel better because as a human, I understand performance a lot better than grace. So a lot of times when I'm sharing the gospel, people, I almost emphasize the performance. We needed needed help. We needed perfect merit to get into heaven. Jesus was perfect for me. And so every time I fail as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, as a friend or whatever, I have to look at Jesus doing that perfectly for me. So when, I'm in heaven, when, I, when I get to heaven, if God asks me, why should you be here, Ryan? I should say, I shouldn't. I deserve punishment. I deserve hell apart from Christ. But I look to Jesus. I said, Jesus did it all for me. I'm, I'm here because I'm perfect in Jesus. So I trust he was born under the law. Therefore, he obeyed the law perfect, perfectly for me. He fulfilled the law. Right? To do what? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. So redeeming and adoption go hand in hand. And to understand and know who you are in Christ, 
There's many, 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 many blessings you could read through. Ephesians 1 is a great chapter on this. But for starters, just know redeemed and adopted. Redeemed and adopted. And remind yourself of them every day. So redeeming and adoption go hand in hand. And redeem, very simple. It means to set free by paying a price to set free by paying a price. So in Old Testament times, you'll see this word redeem in the Old Testament a lot. In Old Testament times, land was very important because most people were farmers. And so sometimes you'd have a family or someone become so poor that they had to sell off the land. Too poor, they couldn't afford it, so I've got to sell it off. A family member called a redeemer would buy back that land, would buy the land and then give it back to that person. That's what a redeemer was. He would purchase the land and then return it back to the person. It's almost like someone purchasing my house. I'm being evicted, or maybe this is a bad example, and I'm getting kicked out of the house, and a family member buys my house, pays it all for me, gives it back to me, and lets me live in it and enjoy it. Like, that's hard to wrap our, that, that, that's hard to wrap our mind around. And Jesus is the redeemer of God's people. And he bought us not with money, he bought us with his blood. Man. But it, it, it actually gets better than that, believe it or not. Not only did he purchase us, but he also adopted us. And this is the um, time in the sermon where I, I probably will cry. I usually cry every sermon, just warning you ahead of time. Um, Adoption is very simple. It's legally, I'm already crying, I'm getting to the story. You probably know where I'm headed with this. Um, adoption is legally making someone a son or a daughter. Megan asked me if I was going to cry. I was like, yeah, probably. Um, J.I. Packer says that adoption is the highest blessing we receive as Christians. And I believe that. Adoption is the, he's basically saying it's the greatest thing you can receive, as greatest blessing that God gives you out of the many he gives you, Adoption is the very best one. Why? Here's what he says. To be right with, the ju- with God the judge is a great thing. That's redeemed. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. And we receive both. So a few years ago, um, my wife and I had the, I can't, I can't do it, I'm not going to do it. Um, I've told this story a number of times and somebody might just have to start laughing at me to get me to, to stop. Um, my wife and I were privileged and blessed with being able to go through an adoption process. And the pro the process of adoption is a process, if you know what I mean. I mean, it's, it is, it is literally a process and it's long and it's hard. And, um, I mean, one thing after another, there's intense interviews where they're asking you everything about yourself. There's fingerprinting. There's home studies. There's just a ton. I mean, it is, it is one thing after another. It took us about, I don't even remember, three years in total. So we adopted our first daughter from India, and we went through this long legal process to bring her into our home to, to be our daughter. And this might sound really cold, but I think there's some truth to this. If we went through the whole process, and again, this is God's grace that he allowed us to do this, and he's allowed me to see adoption in a, in a human way by his grace to help me understand spiritual adoption. Um, but 
imagine if we went through this, this long adoption process and just work hard. And there's this girl in India who has no clue what's going on. And we're just, you know, one thing after another. And we do all that to, to set her free from her orphanage. And I asked Cora if I could, I could share this. So she, she said I could. But what if to do all that to set her free from her orphanage, bring her to America where she would have a chance at life? Because in India, there's no chance for a little girl in an orphanage. There's no chance at all. It would be a nice thing to do for, for us to set her free from the orphanage and bring her here to America and say, all right, bye, but you've got a chance now at least. That'd be great. I mean, it sounds really bad. I'd never do that. But in a technical sense, she'd have a chance at least. That in a weird kind of way would be justification, redeeming. We're going through a legal process to set her free, which is great because she'd have no hope. And we can't have one without the other. But we didn't do that with her. We, we brought her home. Taking her in as my daughter is much greater. You're going to be here for a while. <laughs> and my love for her and my care for her, and again, I'm a, I'm a bad, uh, Scripture calls me an evil father. <laughs> I'm not a good father. And he's so much greater than I will ever be. But my love for her and my care for her do not, I don't say, look, we went through this process for you. This is what we did. I've never shown her that. And I never will. I say, I love you because you're my daughter. Like, she doesn't have to work for my approval. But, but what if? What if we set her free from this orphanage and brought her home and she felt she had free from this orphanage and brought her home and she felt she had to work to be my daughter? You know how much that would hurt me? What's crazy is the first night that we, we adopted her, we, we were in India, and we're in this hotel, and my wife and I, are, we've got a five-year-old. She was five at the time. What do we do? And we're playing. <laughs> you know, I don't know. She doesn't speak English at all. And towards the end of the night, she puts her shoes on. And I'm like, we were like, what's, what's going on? And she starts walking to the door. And I'm like, oh, she thinks she's, she's wanting to go back to the orphanage. I'll never forget those little red shoes. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, no, no, no. Like, you're my daughter. She didn't understand that. And so she couldn't speak any English. So she's sitting there just pointing. And I'm like, she wants to go back to her orphanage. And I had to literally, like, sit down and my feet against the wall and my back against the other wall so she couldn't get by because she's going to try to go out the door. And here's the crazy thing. She wanted, she does, that's what we want to do. We want to go back to our orphanage. We want to go back to the old way. The Galatians wanted to go back to the old way of life. And, and Paul is saying, no, you have all the blessings in Christ. Be his son, be his daughter, enjoy it. And I wanted to tell her that, but here's the problem. She couldn't speak English and she just didn't understand. And here's the thing, neither do we. And God knows we are little babies, 
I couldn't begin to articulate and tell my daughter, who couldn't speak English, and she's five, and she has no clue who these people are. I could not begin to tell her, this is what you need to do. I am your, I am your father. Therefore, you need to obey me and listen to me and trust me. She just wouldn't understand that. Now, I'm not saying now. She's grown, and she's understood that. We are to grow. I'm not saying we should stay there. But church... He is your father, and he loves you, and he cares for you. Don't go back to the orphanage. Don't go back to the law. Don't go back to works. It doesn't work. It's exhausting. I'll take this example a little further. As we see that verse 7 says that we're heirs. Not only is Cora my daughter, she's really an heir. Everything that is mine is hers. You realize that? And we were all, you were all once children too, and you lived at home. Cora gets to live in our house. We, we bought the house. We paid for the house. We make payments on the house. We have, job, have a job. Therefore, I can buy food and do all these things. We can take trips and do all this stuff. And this is right. This is fine. Guess, guess what Cora does? She just enjoys it all. And I got to work. But she enjoys it. She gets to eat desserts and eats dinner, gets to sleep in a bed with, with, with uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Blankets. Like, she, gets, she just enjoys it all. And she doesn't work for any of it because her father has done it all for her. Your father has done it all for you. You're an heir. You get to receive this. That is unbelievable. We are heirs. We are redeemed. We are perfected. We're born under, he was born in the law for us. He is perfecting us. And we are adopted as children. And we receive the Holy Spirit. He says, and he sent us the Holy Spirit into our hearts in verse 6, crying, Abba, Father. Do you realize the Holy Spirit helps you in this context? The Holy Spirit helps you to experience the power of adoption in your life. Because he says the Holy Spirit helps us to cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is as Aramaic for Father. It's, it's Father, Father. It expresses intimacy with Christ. It's almost like a child and his daddy. It's like, I want you so bad. I need you so bad. This is who you are. Cry to him. Say, I don't understand you. I don't understand what's happening. And I don't understand my life because all I do is sin. And all I do is struggle. And life is hard. And if, if that happens with Cora, guess what? I am sitting here waiting for her. I want to. I want to. I want to help her. I want to love her. All my girls. I want to love them and care for them. I don't say, well, you did this, and 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 you did this. Therefore, you have to get all this stuff right, then come back to me, and then I'll help you. But that's how we live. And Satan's real, right? He wants to deceive you. So here's where we'll end. How do you apply all this? How do you apply what we've talked about? This is what we want, right? All right, sounds great, but I don't experience it in my life. How do I apply this, Ryan? 
Well, get ready. Get your, get your pens ready. This is huge. You can't. Gotcha. You, you, you can't apply it. That's the hardest thing about being a Christian, honestly. We want to do things. The, the, the problem is you don't apply this because it's you. It's who you are. It's like winning a, a trip to and this grand vacation. You get there and you're enjoying it. You're like, how do I apply this to my life? You don't apply it. You just enjoy it. It's already yours. You can't apply it. All right, I'll give you a couple of things. You believe it, one, and you enjoy it. You believe it and you enjoy it. And I'll add one more. You, re, you remind yourself of it. Every single day, remind yourself of these truths because you will forget. You'll forget you're his son. You'll forget you're his daughter. I'll end with a quote by Dane Ortland. He says, Our unbelieving hearts tread cautiously here. Now listen to this. He says, Is it not presumptuous, presumptuous audacity to draw on the mercy of Christ in an unfiltered way? He's saying, Is it not really is it not awful to like just keep drawing on the mercy of Christ over and over and over and over again? Is not that wrong? Doesn't that feel wrong to, all right, I've drawn, I've, I've, I've come to you and asked you again and again and again, but I have to stop at some point because I keep sinning. Isn't that a, a bad thing? Shouldn't we be measured and reasonable, careful not to pull too much from him? Here's his answer. He says, would a father with a suffocating child want his child to draw on the oxygen tank in a measured, reasonable way? No, it'd be awful. He says, our trouble is that we do not take the scripture seriously when it speaks of us as Christ's body. Christ is the head. We are his body parts. How does a head feel about his own flesh? He nourishes it and he cherishes, cherishes it. He cares for it. So church, draw on his mercy in an unfiltered way. He wants you to because you're his child. You're his daughter and you're his son. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for adopting us into your family, for redeeming us and legally making us your sons and daughters. There is no greater blessing, Lord, than this. but it's really, really difficult and it's really, really hard to believe it. But the beauty in it is even if we don't believe it, it's still true. We're still yours. So God, help us to believe it. And when the enemy comes to attack, we pray that you would be our refuge and our strength and you would be a shield and you would protect us from those attacks. And I pray that you would help us to remind ourselves of these truths daily, Lord. Just meditating and chewing over the beauty of your word so that we may be changed to reflect more of you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.